it was abundantly clear what I did not want. And sometimes that's where life's crossroads come is you, you have the yes and you have the no. And for me, I knew what I did not want anymore. And I trust my instincts enough to know to follow when there's a yes. And photography felt like a yes to me. And I pretty much immediately just started a business. I did not know what it was going to be. But because I had this uh, such a valuable training ground in publishing, business did not scare me at all. You know, contracts, bank accounts, finances, that, that's fine. I can do this. It was the other. It was the what will this be? But just like so many moments in life, you just have to start. And so I started uh, with boudoir and very quickly that turned into portraiture. And you know, in the meantime, believe me, I'm, I'm tapping into my savings. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I had the, the luxury of I had some money saved and um, I just wanted to see what felt right. So I was constantly checking in on that internal compass of what is the yes, what is the no, what is the yes, what is the no. And I just wanted to build a portfolio and see what felt right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Making It in Asheville. This is a podcast where you get to hear the stories behind some of your favorite artists and businesses in town. Each week in each episode, we interview a different local Ashevillian to uncover how they're making it and what they're making in Asheville. Every episode, we also try to uncover actionable insights from each conversation that you can then take and apply to your own business and work. And we are a husband and wife couple. Uh, That was Sarah. I am Tony. We moved to Asheville in May of 2019, and we did not have jobs or a super built-out plan, and we were very uh, much trying to figure out how does one make it in Asheville, and so we started this podcast to ask people that very question, see what we could learn, and then share the answers with you all, and uh, the podcast has been an absolute blast. Absolutely. Real quick, before we dive in, just a reminder that this podcast is powered by our very own marketing business called Making It Creative. Uh, We help passionate business owners develop meaningful storytelling, marketing strategies, basically try to help them find the biggest marketing lever that they can to grow and more effectively convert their audience into customers. You can learn more about that at makingitcreative.com. And in this episode, episode 45 mm-hmm. with Nicole McConville. We, uh, I don't know, we got to sit down with someone who just is so unbelievably intentional. Uh, and I, and I yeah. think that we were able to convey it in this audio only, uh, interview in a really, really powerful way. What's, what stood out to you about this conversation? I think first and foremost, uh, Nicole's like sort of grounded energy. She Mm. seems to really know herself and know um, what is true for her uh, very, very well. Yeah. And, and, and communicate it in a way that validates like, or that shows just how much she's thought about it. Right. And um, it, I find, I found that as well. And then uh, a couple of the other things that stood out for me is just like how much her story has 
I guess, evolved over her time in Asheville. She's been here for a while now, and she has worn many hats and been in many different fields. And right now, it seems that she is um, like just really incredibly powerfully aligned as a professional. So she is a photographer, Nicole McConville. If you don't uh, know of her yet, uh, you know, you'll check out our Instagram. You'll see some of her work. It is stunning, like breathtaking, remarkable, gorgeous, really like just beautiful photos. And she specializes in portrait photography, especially, which she didn't always. And we kind of talk about that in the episode, how she developed her own style and figured out what she wanted to focus on. But she specializes in, in portraits of entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. and artists and in people that are are in town that have their own business and need to convey uh, their own personal brand to their audience. Absolutely. And one of my favorite parts of that like evolution is how I, I, the way I remember is that she was asked to take portraits of pastries. (laughs) And I think that's just like such a cute concept. And then, you know, the, the rest, as they say, is history. One of my favorite parts is very practical. We, we asked, uh, Nicole, like what photos could and should business owners be taking themselves? And she had like a really specific breakdown of like the three types or four types of photos that everyone should think about and which Mm -hmm. ones of those we can and should, um, own as business owners. And so, uh, as a reason for you to participate in this episode, we'll leave it at that, but it was, uh, very thoughtful. And I think that that is something that we'll lean into even more after this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of great learnings here for anyone who is kind of in the creative industry, anyone who's looking to take their own photos for their own business. Um, and then of course, especially if you're a photographer, uh, this is a fantastic episode to kind of get a sense of how she's developed her own style and her own niche in the market. Absolutely. And the last absolute last thing that I think, uh, we'll add before this Mm -hmm. is how, uh, in some ways, right, so some people, I think, uh, listen to this and it, it might assume that we are trying to tell you to quit your job or start a job or do something crazy. Mm. Um, one of the things that stood out for me is, like, her hand was a little bit forced uh, in so much as her last, like, profession sort of st- stopped. And so she uh, all of a sudden had this thing to, to figure out what, what how will she make it in Nashville. And I think, um, I think that there's something really, really beautiful in the way that she's... Uh, she's allowed herself to grow and evolve and like follow her own curiosity. And with that, I will stop talking at the intro of this episode. Sound good? Cool. Episode 45 with Nicole McConville. Please enjoy. So yeah, so here's to that intention. Um, we have an idea of what the questions might be, but we're gonna, it's going to sure. be a conversation. Yeah. I'd love for you to take a moment to just introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Nicole McConville, and I am now a photographer, and I have lived in Asheville for 22 and a half years. Wow. Yes, and I'm very excited to be here today. <laughs> we're excited to have you. Um, I, I, so there's just, there's so many different ways that we can go about it. One is that, uh, and I'll cut into a thing about me. I love watching this like uh, Hollywood reporter thing and, um, and they get these actors together and Jim Carrey in one of them, uh, was talking across the table to Sasha Baron Cohen. And he's like, when you came up, I could eat, I had two options. One was to 
be threatened by you or two, absolutely adore you and admire you. And so when we moved to town, your photos were like one of the two. We're either going to be super threatened by how amazing this person is. How do they live in Asheville and how are they so good? And like, we don't take good photos and ah, uh, or like absolutely adore you. And we've adored you since moving to town. Oh, and so, so we're like, I'm all hot, nervous. <laughs> his, face, his face is actually <laughs> flushing right now. And, you are, uh, you're it's, red. It's like an exciting moment. And um, the fact that when we did meet at Creative Mornings, it was such like a good thing. And so I'm excited to be here. As That's excited, if not more, than you. Yeah. And honestly, and I'm going to throw a compliment at both of you. That's what the spirit of this podcast is, is pinpointing those people within a community that seem to be bright lights and learning that they're just people and mm -hmm. they have backgrounds and interests and fears and dreams and complexities and families. And um, a podcast like this should feel like meeting someone in a crowded room and getting to know their spirit. Um, so I'm happy that uh, we're doing that today. Cool. Yeah. I love that. I think that you've you've said the bright lights analogy mm -hmm. is something that I could have never pinpointed myself, but you pinpointed it so well, and I love that and, metaphor. And by mistake or by intention, our little logo is a little light, a little light bulb. Yeah, I, I love that. <laughs> uh, I'm very obviously as a photographer, I'm very into light. Um, it informs. Everything that I do, um, but I think about light in a metaphorical context, too, mm -hmm. and think that we all carry it within us. Mm -hmm. And that's part of what I do as a photographer and creative collaborator, but it's also something that I see as a strength within community, particularly in Asheville, is there's so much light here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. So we know a lot about your photography. I mean, we don't know a lot about your photography. We know what we've seen about your photography, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and I'm sure anyone that's listening probably has seen some of your photos and your style. But I want to go back a little bit and understand how did we get here? Where did, we, where did this all begin? Tell yeah, us a little a bit about it. There's a story there. Well, when I moved to Asheville... Um, I moved here both because I was drawn to, at the time, a small arts community, but also the fact that there was a craft publisher here. Um, and I knew the owner of that publishing house for years and wanted to live in Asheville, so it just seemed like a natural fit of let's land here. And um, I worked there for 17 years, so... I landed in Nashville and in this career that brought together many of my interests of creativity and of magnifying talent. And um, I really was a grunt, so I did everything that no one wanted to do, but I was in an environment that it felt so magical to me. I'm surrounded by people who were passionate about ideas. And um, I was really uh, fortunate in that it was such a small publishing house that I had the ability to absorb everything. And so I spent years as a sponge um, learning everything that I could about publishing, um, how books were made, how you sought out ideas, trend spotting, um, the in the trenches work. And over the years, I 
learned the power of books and media in pinpointing those gems of ideas that are out there, whether the gem is the person themselves or a trend, an idea, and giving it a big stage. And so that's um, what I was surrounded with was, oh, you can take this this thing and you can put it out there. And um, there was a magical quality to that of look how many more people you can reach through books. And um, I was hungry for it and so wildly enthusiastic that I did copy editing, um, I was trend spotting, I was absorbing information from those around me, I worked as an executive assistant, until eventually I started acquiring books. So I was the one that was like, yes, that's the gem that we want. And no one else has that yet, or everyone else has this, we want we want this as well. And, and just to, sorry to interrupt, but uh, the craft book, do you mean like, uh, uh, crochet, like oh, crafts. Thank, thank you for asking. So, um, arts and crafts. And I, I will give a shout out. Uh, Lark Books is the name of the okay. publishing house, and it was well established here in Asheville um, long before I came here. And they started as a craft publisher, mostly focusing on uh, things like yarn, knitting, crochet, pottery, sewing. Um, and we are in Asheville, which is has such a rich bed, a foundation of traditional crafts, and so it's perfect location for that. Um, and there's a hunger for that. So, of course, in that era, pre-internet, not pre-internet days, but early, early, you wanted a book in front of you mm-hmm. as a teacher, uh, as a guide, as a uh, invitation to this world of knowledge. And so that's what books did at the time. And so I started trying to find those authors and those trends and book ideas. Um, I was also tasked with making those books happen. So um, working with authors, working with editors, and eventually, over those many years, worked my way up until I ended up managing the largest content division that we had, which included general crafts, but also things like cooking and homesteading, which I actively expanded. So it was just a craft publisher, but either through naivete or uh, stubborn enthusiasm, maybe a little bit of both, I really wanted us to be doing some of these other ideas. And so we had a homesteading series and cookbooks and pop culture books Mm. and... Um, frankly, I had the right mentors who saw that wide-eyed enthusiasm in me um, and fostered that. And I'm so grateful uh, for that. And they gave me opportunities. And I was tenacious and hungry and continued this love affair that I had with books and publishing um, until I was kind of upper management in a system that was becoming more and more corporate. Mm -hmm. And as that was happening, my love affair was starting to shift. Mm -hmm. Um, However, at the time, having a professional job in Asheville that was stable and I had a good paycheck coming Mm -hmm. every other week, uh, that was 
enough to keep me in it. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of things happening in my life at the time, a lot of change. I was going through a divorce, very amicable, but I was going through a divorce. And um, I just wanted this one thing to stay the same. Yeah. But that's not how the universe works. Yeah. And was it just to follow the timeline is this about seven years ago five years ago because you said seven years ago seven yes. years ago mm-hmm. yeah cool. so at that time this family this publishing house um was owned by a company in new york and they did not want a remote office and so basically the doors were closed and mm. um that story came to an end and while i <laughs> I was ready. I'd been ready for a couple years. I was not loving upper management in a corporate situation. Mm -hmm. It seemed to strip away a lot of the creativity and um, kind of unbridled passion of it. Um, I hadn't thought of a backup plan. So So, I was fooled into stability mm, at the time. And it's not like you were taking photos in this role, or were you? Oh, no, no. Um, So... While I was project managing right. many, many, many made books and understood the critical importance of visuals. Especially in, in like a, I'm imagining partly, if not largely, how-to style photography where it needs to be very practical and literal and you need to know that to this so thing much. goes around that one and then mm-hmm. back through this one mm-hmm. and that's how you do the weave. Absolutely. And you need someone to want your book over another one online Mm -hmm. or if they're perusing the bookstore. Those visuals are so critically important. Um, So when you have a great idea, um, no matter what the format, you need to have a way of standing out from whatever else is in the environment. You need a way of reaching out and saying, please pick me, Mm -hmm. whether that's a book or an idea um, or a business. And that was my training ground for the the importance of, of marketing. Of You can't just have a good idea. Mm-hmm. A good idea is not enough. Um, you can pour your heart and soul into something, but unless people know it exists and it is attractive, it's going to quietly disappear into the ether. Yeah. Um, so I was more in the um, management and moving gears um, kind of behind the curtain. Um, but simultaneously, while all of that was going on in my publishing career, I was an artist, so wow. I um, had a, a passion. I wouldn't say it was a, a side career, but a passion for collage and assemblage. Um, I was doing it for many years and showed locally, but also internationally. Oh, wow. So I had this visual brain and loved, I mean, collage is about piecing things together of taking disparate parts and making something beautiful out of them. Um, but w- at the time when I was going through massive upheaval and change in my life, so I was told that my this career that I'd had for so long was ending. Mm-hmm. My marriage was ending. Um, my home was going up for sale. So pretty wow. much everything was just, it was like a snow globe and you shake it up and all the snow is in the air. So that's what it felt like. I had been taking images um, casually, but the turning point for me was really 
when I started taking portraits, very intimate portraits of friends. And then there was a trip. So I know that you both love travel. Mm-hmm. Um, a year before I left publishing, I went on this completely, it felt spontaneous and a little um, ludicrous, <laughs> this trip to Morocco. Mm-hmm. Um, and a friend was teaching a workshop in instant photography. So like Polaroid cameras. Yeah. I knew nothing about this at all, but I knew that I loved her, my friend who was teaching, and I knew I loved imagery and travel. And yes, I will go to Morocco and avoid all of the change that's happening in my life. For sure. And I fell in love. So I learned through the vehicle of instant photography, which... Due to the nature of the film and the yeah. technology, it's um, it can be temperamental, and the film is very expensive, and you you have to you have to work with it, you have to love it, and also embrace chance and that imperfection, which goes against my nature because I I want everything to be structured and perfect, and it open my eyes and my soul to the beauty of light and composition and image making, storytelling, being present and witnessing the world around me with very observant eyes. Wow. And it was a moment that really changed the trajectory of how I saw things. That's so much. So I want to quickly uh, uh, pause here and say, with a Polaroid workshop, it seems like if I were to try and draw a parallel, Polaroid photography would be like uh, illustration with uh, whiteboard markers, (laughs) right? Like you're only so uh, specific, uh, my guess. I don't think there's like focal ranges. There's only so specific you can get with a whiteboard marker, but... Um, was that like a limiter and in, in being a limiter, uh, a great access point? Because like, well, yeah, there's only so many variables here. Like you need to use the light. You're not going to, I imagine use an external flash or a third party light or like overly manipulate with a Polaroid, but I don't know what a Polaroid workshop would be like. Mm-hmm. So you're saying it changed the way that you saw the world. I'm wondering, I'm wondering how if that makes sense or like is it am i right to assume that it was a some sort of a gateway because of the simplicity of the the actual camera itself well there there actually is a lot that you can do with, with instant a, film okay. um but for me the thing that i was drawn to and attracted to is kind of the same thing that i i danced the line of now is um i am stretched by play by, um, I can't control this as much as I might want to. Um, and there's, there are really beautiful lessons in letting go and understanding that the film is temperature sensitive and light really does matter, light and shadow and how you treat the film and how you treat your camera. Um, but there's a certain quality of, I don't know what's going to happen in this moment. And uh, 
I need that. Mm. I need permission to release and let go and try things and understand that out of 10 images, one of them may be good and that's okay. But all of those images that I took had value because they were part of an experience and simply stretching myself and trying something new. Um, but because of the fact that, you know, each of those shots that you take could cost you anywhere from three to $10 to create, it forces you to slow down. And I think that we're in a world that is so quickly paced and it's how much can you do quickly that at the time instant film showed me that there is a lot of value in let's just slow down and be here in this moment let's engage with the environment or my subject really look and if it's not right in this moment perhaps if I stay here for a while it will be and so that's a, a lesson in patience and presence and observation that I still try and channel. It's a good reminder. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember some of the photos that you took while in Morocco? Do you still have any oh, of I, them? Oh, of course I still have them. Yeah, that's the joy of having an actual printed artifact, um, that there is something about them that is it's like a, a magical portal to a moment in time and place so of course I I have so many Polaroids and instant shots from various travels and it's fun to take them out and remember because they the nature of what they look like also has a magical quality to them so you feel like you're looking at this sort of transportation vehicle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They tend to be a little misty and yeah. the color is um, slightly distorted. Um, they're really beautiful. We, uh, we, I'm sorry, we have, uh, I'm thinking of that and I feel transported thinking about, we have instant photos from when I proposed to you in, in Rome. We do. Oh, yes. Yeah, this guy was really sharp. It was late at night and he saw something was happening over there at the corner of the Trevi Fountain and he like scooted over Snap, snap. Uh, I'll sell these to you. And I was like, damn. <laughs> yes, you will. Like, I will buy them. I was like, that's fair. That's fair. I'll do that. Yeah, it's that. Um, but there is something. I do too. And I, and, I, and I hear you on that because I, we've also been trying to be, I've been trying to be better about printing some photos, especially mm-hmm. like from our honeymoon and from our wedding, of course. And it's so nice because we can go back and look at them and it's a different feeling than it is looking at them on a computer or your phone because mm-hmm. or your phone because they were chosen and it was like we selected certain ones and mm-hmm. we placed them in a certain place and then we printed them and there's this intention behind keeping them in our home versus somewhere in a file on my computer that might exactly. get lost forever exactly so what an appropriate training ground um as i mean i was a hobbyist before this moment, I was, of course, taking snapshots. I travel a lot, so I take photos when I go. But that experience of being in this other place, learning something new, and training my my eye, but also my heart in observation, really did wake something up in me. And so when I had 
the opportunity to transition, which is what I did. So, you know, at the end of a publishing career that was that long, I knew in my heart that I didn't want to do this anymore. Um, I, I was the one who was doing the office job when all of my friends had these quirky jobs and they mm -hmm. were traveling all over the world. And I, I felt like I had done that. I'd proven something to myself and others and, um, I wanted something else, but I didn't know what that was going to be because I had not been allowing myself the space to daydream. What could that be? Mm. And something about photography called to me. Um, and so when I was told you will not be doing this anymore, I had the choice. Do I continue in publishing or do I just try anything else it was abundantly clear what I did not want mm -hmm. and sometimes that's where life's crossroads come is you you have the yes and you have the no and for me I knew what I did not want anymore and I trust my instincts enough to know to follow when there's a yes and photography felt like a yes to me and um I pretty much immediately just started a business. I did not know what it was going to be, but because I had this uh, such a valuable training ground in publishing, business did not scare me mm -hmm. at all. You know, contracts, bank accounts, finances, that that's fine. I can do this. It was the other. It was the what will this be? But just like so many moments in life, you just have to start. Mm -hmm. And so I started uh, with boudoir, which might surprise many people. So I started taking intimate photos of women, and it called to me, the, in the sense of intimacy really spoke to me of, I loved the quiet sensibility of it and shared space and intention of here we have someone who is willing to be vulnerable. Let's use that opportunity uh, as an act of empowerment. And so I learned how to talk to people and how to make people feel very comfortable. And very quickly that turned into portraiture. And you know, in the meantime, believe me, I'm, I'm tapping into my savings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I had the, yeah, yeah. the luxury of I had some money saved. And um, I just wanted to see what felt right. So I was constantly checking in on that internal compass of yeah. what is the yes, what is the no, what is the yes, what is the no. And I did a lot of work for free, discounted work. I just wanted to build a portfolio yeah. and see what felt right. And, and so you clearly are an artist. You have an artist's mind, you have an artist's eye, but you were a project manager Mm -hmm. And and more other, let's say more linear thinking hats in the last career. So like, did you have a uh, logic based brain mm -hmm. part of you saying, "Hey, the clock is ticking. I'm giving myself this much time. This is." Were, were there any milestones, arbitrary or otherwise, that you would set? Um, in that, I know how to set up a business. I'm not worried about that. What kind of project manager role did you play for your business in the early days? I really appreciate that question. Um, that is me. I am structure personified. I 
have a very logical planning McPlannerston brain. Uh, I, I deeply crave structure. I want to know the rules. I want to follow the map. And of course, this was such an uncomfortable time for me because I, I was creating that on the spot. And, um, when you're starting something from fresh where people don't associate you as a photographer, you don't have a lot of clients. And so I was just, I, I had enough of a buffer to give myself time. So the honest answer is I just wanted to spend a year seeing what this was. And so I just did as much work as I could and I shared it, which is the critical step is every time I did work, I shared it, uh, which is hard when you feel like perhaps you may not have earned the title of photographer. What am I doing? But I, I trusted the yes. And that propelled me to share. And I got feedback. And the people that I worked with loved what I was putting out there. And they shared it. And um, one of the turning points for me was the, the very first wedding that I did. Because I was told I had to do weddings. Mm-hmm. I met the owner of Al Bakery. Because she'd done the desserts at the wedding. And had a nice spark of connection. And she asked me if I could take portraits of her food. This was before there was a... a, a Instagram a, food a, thing? No, this was before she had a, a brick and mortar oh, store. Okay. So she was just in the nascent stages of the business. Wow. And she took a chance on me. And I think that's one of the key parts of any person's story is you have people that take a chance on you. And I've had many people do that with me and I'm so grateful. And that's what I did is I, the way that she had phrased it, take portraits of my food. I knew she understood what I was doing. I knew that she valued that sense of, I honor my subject matter. And so I ran towards that and I worked with her for an entire year as she was building this business and that reminded me that I can create a business based on what I love. I don't have to do what I think a photographer is supposed to do in Asheville. And that's how the business developed was I just kept veering sharply away from the no, which Mm -hmm. I've never done family portrait sessions. I've never done senior portrait sessions. I did weddings for a short period of time. And anyone who does them deserves sainthood. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a very, very hard job. Um, even though it seemed like I was doing all of these different things, the connector eventually was I really love creative entrepreneurs. I am drawn to business. I love it. I love the ins and outs in the story and magnifying things. And I love visuals. And because of that history in publishing, I understood that you, you need to have the visuals to make the introduction, to reach through the screen and have that first encounter, which can develop into relationship, which can then 
grow into advocacy. And the more that I worked with business owners, whether that's just one person or an established and growing business, it just felt right. And so I was able to shed off parts of the business that no longer called to me. So I did not do boudoir anymore. I did not do weddings. And really, it's been within the past couple of years that I feel like I've been able to say, this is exactly what I do. And once I was able to commit to my unique path of, I'm not going to (laughs) listen to what I think I'm supposed to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. All those things that are screaming yes at me, it has felt like such a calling. Had had the owl founder, whose name I don't know yet. Susanna. Okay. Had had Susanna seen your photos or was it, was it just talking? She saw the photos that I had delivered from that wedding from the wedding mm-hmm. got it so and it did. was it was not like on the side of the um, wedding you're doing a no, deal no 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 <laughs> no 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 so um i she for many years i've had an instagram presence mm-hmm. um i initially went to it kind of as a, a visual journaling mm-hmm. so a chronicling of life so i always had that eye of observation of i did a lot of um kind of abstract and quiet moments in my photography when I was beginning and I wrote a lot or I would write these thoughts that people really connected with. And, um, so people found me through Instagram well before I had a business. And so anytime I would do work, I would share it and show it. And And so one of the ways was through Instagram. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So I just, uh, that reminded me of a, of a feeling that I had when you were talking, when that initially came out, which was, uh, I didn't feel like I had earned the right to call myself mm. photographer. And so I want to shout out to my cousin who uh, <laughs> is great. And uh, he has been a uh, shepherd for me in some ways. Uh, Sebastian, who my grandfather wears a hat, like a proper hat, all four seasons, depending on the temperature, climate, changes, wool, beaver skin, uh, you know, uh, Panama and He's a hat guy. And so I was talking to my cousin, Sebastian, who's wise. Uh, and he goes, and I go, Sebastian, man, I think I, I just want to be a hat guy. Like, I want to be a hat guy so bad. He goes, oh, cool. Do you know what makes a hat guy? They wear a hat. Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. And there's something, I think, super profound in that and super mundane. But it's like, if you want to be a photographer, mm-hmm. do you take photos? Photographer. All the other stuff is now the hard stuff, mm-hmm. which is share the work. But you want to be a photographer, take, take photos. Do you think that's true? I do to a certain extent. Um, so part of, the, part of the origin story of me as a photographer with a capital P yes. um, began with a relationship with someone I consider a mentor. So again, the importance of those people taking chances on you. So shout out very directly to... One of the world's best photographers, Parker Pfister, who lives here in Asheville. Um, He really is one of the best photographers in the world. So accomplished and skilled. And I met him through friends and had been doing some modeling for him. And he knew me when I went on that trip to Morocco. And he saw what happened to me. He saw that something came alive in me. And was so kind and generous in saying, you have an eye 
there's something in you that you need to pursue this. And the fact that someone of his caliber said that to me really made a difference in propelling me forward and trusting myself. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do think that we, we're in a world of comparison and have I earned the right... You do anything by beginning somewhere. And so you have to start somewhere. Everyone did. Everyone was a fumbling idiot at some point, And they just kept at it. And so uh, that is one thing that I do have is tenacity. and uh, Or stubbornness, depending on how you look at it. And I just loved this thing. And I just kept doing it and doing it. Um, And it was pretty quickly that I, while I have never been and may never be a tech-heavy photographer, that's not my thing. Mm-hmm. I've always known that I have a good eye. Mm-hmm. And trust comes into play. Of I trust that I'm a photographer or an artist or a writer. I trust that. And the more that you put things out there and share with other people, you get waves of validation coming back at you of, yeah, keep doing that thing. Just keep at it. And just like any skill or any love, any passion, the more you do it, the better you're going to be. Getting a lot of smiles and yeses (laughs) from this side of the table. (laughs) For sure. I'm curious to know more about, you, you were talking before how you started out doing um, a lot of boudoir and mm-hmm. then you changed into, you know, weddings cause you feel like that's something you had to mm-hmm. do to, you know, stay alive or to make, it in <laughs> keep, yeah, keep, make it in Nashville. <laughs> right. right. Um, and then you slowly sort of, uh, shed some of those parts of the business. Do you think that when it comes to creative style, do you think that you have to kind of try everything before honing in on what it is that you want to do? Like, do you think that if you had just started with you know, business branding photography, it would have worked? No, I don't think it would have worked at all. Mm -hmm. I think that the reason why my understanding is the reason why people are drawn to my work is that it has a certain quality about it. And that is grounded in this sense of connection and Mm -hmm. intimacy. Mm -hmm. And that story wouldn't be there if I wasn't you know, <laughs> in my studio working with one-on-one with people who feel really uncomfortable in front of a camera and I'm helping them own themselves and mm. stand in a spotlight. Uh, if I just started with business, I think it, I, I might have bought into what I thought that was supposed right. to look like yeah. and so I, I think anyone who is learning any craft needs to be aware of what else is happening out there um, try things of course listen to experts um, find your mentors try things but the, the critical thing is to know when something feels right and when it doesn't and I think um, particularly in photography we can be so susceptible to what we think we're supposed to do. There's so many trends and popular looks and 
Um, we have the vehicle of Instagram telling us constantly that you're supposed to do it a certain way or mm-hmm. everyone has this in their photos. Um, it's a, an act of, I think, courageous rebellion to just, just do what feels right for you mm-hmm. and you will find the people that that resonates with. And I've been fortunate enough to do that. And I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine it's always evolving. We're always discovering new techniques or let's try this. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. That's really interesting. I love that. Um, I also want to know from the point of view of directing someone, Mm -hmm. this is something that I personally struggle with, especially because we take a lot of pictures of our podcast guest and it's something that I'm having to learn to get better at is like, okay, pose this way, move this way. What kind of, tips would you give someone that is trying to learn how to pose people in a certain way, in a natural way? Well, I, I will say that again, part of creating your own path is that I'm big on preparation. So I'm not a show up and shoot kind of girl. I don't do that. So I tend to book my clients well in advance of their sessions. So we have time, we have this space to really get to know each other. So every single client gets a client questionnaire and I ask them about their their business and what motivates them and really ask them to do a little bit of work of going deep into what do they actually care about? Who do they want to be connecting with? What motivates them? But I do put it out there of what are you sensitive about? What do, what do we need to be mindful of at the shoot? But also what makes you feel amazing? And letting them know that they can show up as they are. I don't do makeovers, so I'm not that kind of photographer either. So I want them to look like them, their best selves. And once they arrive at a session, whether it's, you know, I don't just do headshots and portraits. This is also the same thing if I'm doing branding, food photography, or product photography, fashion. All of that upfront work makes it so when a client arrives at a shoot there's been an education, there's been an exchange of preparations. So we have a certain level of trust with each other. And there's always a settling in period, just like you did with me today. And I want them to, to trust me and and know that I, I value them and I honor them and I see them and who they are is okay. It's not just okay. It's wonderful. And I do think that everyone is beautiful in their own way. And to give someone permission to know that they don't have to perform, that they don't have to know what to do with those pesky hands, um, that I'm, you know, they're in good hands with me. So all they had to do was show up and do the prep work and I will guide them through everything. And just like there is in life, I can do a lot of preparation, but there's always going to be that element of discovery or chance that happens at every single shoot where someone may do something naturally that is so them that must be captured. Um, But the key is to try and pose people so that they don't feel like they're posing. Mm. And I don't know if that's something that I can, that's teachable. It's, it's about rapport and mutual trust and, I think that clients understand that this isn't just about taking pretty pictures. This is about honoring 
an individual or a business in a certain place and time and knowing that what we're doing is allowing them to meet other people. So those images should be serving the purpose of connection with others. It, there's so many different layers that inform yeah. it, but that's what I love. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any, so, uh, I, I have, I don't, Sarah is our resident photographer on over here at making it in Asheville. Um, but there's this one guy, uh, Peter Hurley, I want to say Peter Hurley from New York who does headshots and I, I like YouTube. And so he's got these YouTube videos that I just absolutely loved years ago. Uh, one is about squinching with your eyes. Oh, the smize. Smize. Yeah, right? smile with your eyes. Smile with your eyes. Mm -hmm. And then the other one has to do with jawline and mm -hmm. like just kind of tucking it. Are there any like <laughs> just e like easier, almost always, like this is just not a, okay. a bad thing. Yeah, is, you want the bag yeah. of tricks. Like not, not necessarily, but like, but just like 101, everyone should generally know that uh, opening your eyes real big looks weird or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. I totally understand your question. And I may frustrate frustrate you with my answer. <laughs> You're gonna judo um, it because I Aikido because I really believe that everyone is different. Okay. And so while I might have my own ideas of how to work with different body types, mm -hmm. which is really important, um, the energy that someone brings to the room is is their own thing, and mm -hmm. so. It really is thinking on the fly and seeing how things look in the moment and trying things. I, I think what people see in my images is I feel really connected to that person. And you cannot have that unless there is that connection between the photographer and the subject. And so, well, I know there's, there's a lot of information out there about here's how you accentuate this yeah. and make sure that you cross your arms in this way. You can't pose connection. Yeah. So I do some things on set. Uh, many people will hold their breath and I can, there's a shift in the room if someone is starting to feel tension or I can sense that either they've been smiling for too long or they're feeling self-conscious. And so we, I just put the camera down and I just ask them to breathe. Yeah. If I will breathe with them. And that can be a very centering moment of, hey, it's just you and me. We're just here in a room. Let's have some fun. Or just bringing it back. Cool. Yeah, I so breathing that. is a good tip. Breathing is a great tip. <laughs> that was a perfect yeah, tip. And, I, and I, I, I feel bad. I was like, oh, man, I just went Cosmopolitan cover on how to – be a photographer and that's not exactly what i was well, that works for intent. that works for some people yeah it's just not what i do right yeah perfect answer yeah breathe yeah. and i you know when i'm doing product photography i also tell those items to <laughs> like, breathe too muffin, <laughs> muffin. you're like don't feel self-conscious <laughs> come on now with your little muffin top muffin. <laughs> <laughs> it look, you look beautiful yeah. Yeah. i mean that's got to be so different though like because and I, i've experienced this a little bit too is you can move the food around, mm -hmm. right? You can do whatever you want the food. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes it's hard. You're like, ice cream, don't melt. But, you mm -hmm. know, you can manipulate things there. It's a much harder to tell someone to just relax. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, you have to do something else to kind of like get their mind off of mm -hmm. what's going on. So yeah. I can imagine that's so, so, so different. Yeah. And so yeah. when I don't think of 
while I wear the title photographer, mm -hmm. that's not what, that's not all I do. So mm -hmm. I think of myself as a creative collaborator. I get very mutually invested in the businesses that I work with. Um, so it's, I want people to not just focus on the final collection of images. It's about having a great experience. And so that was something I was set on early on in my business was I don't just want to make great images. I want to exceed their expectations as far as that goes. But I also want anyone who works with me to feel wow, she really understood me. And that was such a phenomenal experience. Sometimes it is the turning point for them. And I'm finally going to launch this business. I'm mm -hmm. going to do the website. I'm going to do the rebrand. I'm launching that program. I honor my role in that story so much that that is why there's so much time involved in the preparation and the care throughout the entire process. Yeah, there's there's so much more than images going on. For sure. Absolutely, right. yeah. And, and uh, savvy listener out there, that is also just, whether it's intentional or otherwise, that's a very good way to be as a business, as a business that's in service. Mm -hmm. um, because at the end of the day, if we are going to market as, I deliver you 10 photos mm -hmm. that are good, mm -hmm. someone else can do 10 photos that is good of course like that's not yeah. that's not what the deliverable should be that's not what we should be calling ourselves mm -hmm. it has to be experiential it has to be relationship it has to be this thing that um we comes up a bunch in the podcast but is remarkable like the photos need to be remarkable the experience needs to be remarkable from the questionnaire that like triggers a, a level of contemplation that might not have otherwise have occurred to how they feel in the room with you and the breathing practice mm -hmm. like that all I think comes together to have um, the end deliverable be much, much more to your point. Than Absolutely. The photos. Yeah. And that of course informs the love that I have for this work. I mean, yeah. I deeply love it and I have to because it is so much work. Um, but it's also, uh, I, I believe that, and it, it it's the theme of your podcast. I mean, I think that we can build a better community together. It is the interactions between the members of our community that makes it better and stronger. And I see what I do as helping propel forward amazing people and ideas to make Asheville better. And how amazing is that? It's amazing. It's just so great. Yeah. You get to put people in good lights, which is what I we're do. trying to do, do on the podcast. So here's good to audio. that. <laughs> with, uh, and I, I don't pretend, I, I am not a audio with a capital A expert. Um, but one of the things that I'm thinking now as we are, are sort of out of the backstory is like what's mm -hmm. different, and this can be a lot of things, but what is different about how you are running your business now from let's say the very first moments where you're like, I'm no longer boudoir. I'm no longer wedding photography. I have this thing that I think feels right. And I love the way you're talking about 
Um, it can either be a strong yes or a strong no, but just like follow it and trust that. There's, I have so many different ways that I want to unpack that, and I think you've done great, so we're gonna, I'm not going to, but like this concept of, all right, not wedding photography, not boudoir, it's this other thing, it's business owners, it's businesses. How's the business different today than it was around that time? Sustainable. Mm. <laughs> Seriously, um, it's by really leaning into what only I feel I can do. Like This is Nicole McConville. This is my business. That's when things started to work. Yeah. And I really think that when you find your singular voice or your singular path, the people that are your ideal clients and customers and community, they, they resonate with that so clearly because um, it's like you have laser beams. I call it magic sparkles. You have magic sparkles surrounding yourself because you're so in the thing that is uniquely you. Yeah. And that is attractive to other people. And so because I now know that path, I can speak very clearly about it. I have absolutely no hesitation sharing it. I know that business and entrepreneurs are my community. And so I have this hunger to go out and meet people that wasn't there before. Um, there was a, a timidity. You mentioned of uncertainty. that you were you were particularly shy oh years ago. God. Years ago, um, so basically, uh, m- most of my adulthood, I was a very shy, socially awkward introvert. Um, I'm now everything. I- I'm I'm definitely an introvert still, but something has happened in recent years. It may have been my opportunity of speaking at Creative Mornings, which was like, let's talk about being shy in front of 300 people. Something has happened in recent years where I've allowed myself to let go of that story that I was telling myself and realized how many years I spent being scared of judgment and rejection and not fitting in, um, doing the right thing, that inner critic that we all carry with us um, was so loud for me um, that it prohibited engagement. And so once I let that go, I felt like I've got so much time left to, Mm -hmm. to really love people and engage with them. And what a beautiful opportunity that I have with the work that I do. I'm just so damn excited all the time. I just love people and I'm so interested in what people are doing and how they contribute to our community, but the wider world and the fact that I can play some role in that um, feels like a superpower. I'm just so excited right now. Yeah. I imagine that uh, you got time back, but you also got a lot of energy back when you, when you let go of that, have a uh, mentor that calls that just like, uh, it's a burden, but Oh yeah. It's like walking around. Um, I mean, when my creative mornings talk, I talked about having an invisible bubble around my head constantly, but it it could be compared to a, a blanket, Mm -hmm. uh, just this cloak that you wear. And I don't feel like it's there anymore. Um, and what a gift that is every day. I mean, I'll, I'll talk to the, the bagger at the grocery store (laughs) I'm that person now. Same. I, uh, I think I've always been. But I, so to, 
so I want to now speak to someone in the audience who's like, oh, that's so awesome for her. Of course. That she's found this thing, and I haven't. And my, my, what I heard through mm-hmm. that story is that uh, it still took you years of photography to be at a place now where it's sustainable and this uh, lightning is coming out of your bottle and you are shine, sparkly magic. What was mm-hmm. the word that you used? Oh, magic sparkles. Magic sparkles. <laughs> um and, and all of that is happening. And the way that you get there is by following curiosity, knowing when the no's show up, hearing when the yes might be mm-hmm. there, and, and allowing time and effort and creating a thing and putting it out in the wild and, mm-hmm. and, and speaking your voice and knowing that someone, if they get the opportunity to hear it, see it, engage with it, they'll have an opportunity to have that resonate. And then if they do, uh, give it time. Thank you. You did a really good job of, of bringing that back to your initial question um, and framing it in a way that um, I think honors that everyone has fears and doubts. I, believe me, I still do, particularly at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> um, yes, I think that uh, action is the antidote for fear. So when doubt is swirling and you don't even know, is this my thing? What is my thing? What should I be doing? Do something, take an action step, whether that is a creative, a project or a partnership, surround yourself with support, uh, people who aren't just yes men, but people who see you and value you and can provide encouragement and support and question and accountability, find mentors. I've had several that have changed my life. Um, and just do the thing. Listen, listen to that in, internal compass that I was alluding to. And uh, the more you listen to it, the more it is strengthened because if you do follow the yes and move away from the nose, things will become clearer. And I don't have everything figured out by, I mean, I, you know, people, no one, no one does. We live in a mediated environment. So of course I'm putting a lot out there that, uh, is sharing the positives, but I have fear and doubt like anyone else. I now know that change is inevitable. I've finally gotten that. And so I know there's going to be things that happen that, um, change and make me question and redirect but it's because I worked so hard on that compass that I I know that I'll be able to figure it out Mm -hmm. yeah you hit me with some I'm sorry you hit me with some alchemist energy just there on like if you don't listen to the voice it'll get quieter and leave you alone uh, eventually because it doesn't want to not be heard yeah and that's uh it's important I love that I, I'm curious to know only if you feel comfortable sharing, but what are some of the challenges that you're facing right now, whether it's fears or doubts or just um, business challenges even um, they are looking forward? I'm happy to share. Um, that's the point of this. Um, I think I still feel like I'm getting my sea legs running my own ship. So it's like running your own business is very 
complicated. It's challenging. I don't have any illusions about that. Um, I think for me, I wrestle constantly with the desire for a structure because that's a big part of my personality. Um, and so having open space in my calendar can feel really uncomfortable. And so my tendency is just cram it up, like Jenga up, like put it all the pieces together. Um, but there is, I've learned so much when I have like a slow period or what can I be doing when there's a pause of reevaluating, doing creative projects, um, trying to think about what I want to do next instead of having to react to change. Um, so I think I have the fear that I don't have it all figured out and that's never going to go away. Um, of course I want my business to be sustainable. Um, I keep my expenses really low, but I, I like good food and I love travel. So there's a certain element there of, I want my life to look a certain way. And so I need the business to sustain me for what I want my life to look like. Um, sometimes I wonder if there's enough work out there because there's so many photographers and they will just keep moving here. Um, and that's a hard thing to admit. Um, but when those fears come up, I just dig my dig my roots down into the thing that I do is stop looking at what everyone else is doing and continue to follow your path and your vision. Do what you do as well as you possibly can. And whenever I can do that, the fear kind of sheds off like a cloud. It's, it's just that action step of just keep doing good work, keep sharing it, keep meeting people that excite you, um, which happens constantly in this town. Um, just keep moving forward, keep questioning and, um, know that it's a, it's a moving platform. So just be nimble and, um, it's, you know, it's going to be okay. Yeah. I love that. 4am self. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all can relate oh, yeah. to that in some way, for sure. Um, would you ever consider combining photography with the publishing world? Or how have you? It's a good question. Um, so for a year after I left the publishing house I was with, I did keep one foot in. So I was doing freelancing um, and got one person there, book deal in that interim time and worked on another book. It was so clear to me in that year that I was done. Mm. Uh, it was a body resonance of, oh, that chapter is so over. Mm. I, don't, I don't love this anymore, and I don't want to do something that I don't love anymore. felt like I was moving, going through the actions. Mm. And yeah, so publishing is way behind. I still love it. I still love books. Really? And um, I've had conversations with people that are wanting to get in the business, mm -hmm. but I feel so separate from that now um, that, yeah, that's not, not, not the well, arena you, I want to play so. in. Would you can, would you, I'm saying, I guess more of uh, taking photos for books 
being the photographer. The clarification. Um, Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. But I will say, because I know so much about the back end of publishing, that I'm like, oh God, that's a lot of work. I don't know if I want to do that because you have a lot of people in that room. Directing. Throwing opinions in. You've Mm -hmm. got to make the author happy, the publisher, the art director, the people in the management back room. Um, I prefer to engage with a small group of people or one person in what it is that I do now. And so if I have a choice between that or something else, I'd rather have more of a direct engagement. Heard. And I'm not, uh, don't pretend to be uh, aware of what's going on in publishing, but I read a couple blog posts. That's enough. And that's (laughs) enough to at least form a question for you, which is, and does your insider uh, experience have anything? My understanding is that books rarely make people that much money or money at all they act more like business cards my book is for sale at william sonoma now let me come speak or let, let me do a guest appearance thing um it is is that part i mean is that yeah, true so in general uh, having a book is just allows you to have a wider platform mm-hmm. so i think these days everyone's just trying to reach the widest audience possible so a book is an opportunity to just talk to more people. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's proof that you can put thoughts together. Uh, Sometimes it opens the door to publishing more books. So if you have more books, then you can certainly be generating more income. But it might be, I'm doing this book because I just love this thing. And then it opens the door for speaking opportunities or I'm going to be on a, a panel or be on a television show or that yeah. kind of thing. So it's just about visibility. Heard. Yeah. There, uh, there's a couple crazy long and interesting blog posts from, I want to say it's Linea or a Linea in Chicago that decided to do their own book publishing, like startup publishing company mm-hmm. to figure it out because, uh, they had run the numbers and it wouldn't have been worth their time otherwise. Um, but they are, they said similar things. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. And I think that, uh, the thing that always surprises me uh, with cookbooks, and we have many, and they're not mine, uh, they're Sarah's, is how important, and one of the things that they said in this article or by whatever the, the restaurant was, is that like if the, if the recipe doesn't have a picture, mm. there is like a 1% or like something rounds to 0% mm-hmm. percent chance that the person reading the cookbook who paid for it is going to make that meal. Mm-hmm. It's going to use that recipe. And so like they have, uh, they overemphasize photography and that and I think it's just a, a testament testimony to how important photos are. Well, you think about what the publishing market is competing with. YouTube. I mean, you could find any, you can find like YouTube. So obviously that's your thing. That's my thing. Uh, but, video. You know, if I want a recipe, even though I certainly have my own collection of cookbooks, uh, I just look online and I have the kind of cooking brain where I'll look at three and then in my brain I'll combine those and then just wing it based on that recipe. And they all have so many photos and so many stories associated with them. So there's this huge wealth of information out there. And so I actually think that's a lesson in what businesses also have to compete with is, my God, how do you stand out? How do you even just have the first handshake? How do you engage in that first meeting with somebody? And I do think that images are so 
critically important, whether you're taking them yourself, and I'm actually a huge advocate of people taking images themselves, or you're working with a professional, you have to try anything to stand out from such a visually overwhelming environment Mm. to just stand out just like long enough to stop the scroll to have a conversation. So it's like thinking about a shelf filled with books. Which one are you going to pull out? You're probably going to pull out the one that has the dreamy photos and allows you to be part of a story. Yeah. I firmly believe that we judge books by their covers, um, and and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, question from our listening audience. Oh, how exciting! That you created a perfect segue for. Good. Was um, do you have a perspective on what photos could be taken by the founding team or the the us, and which ones probably, if you can, should be taken by professionals. I have an entire workshop based on this. Ooh. I do, yes. Um, so I have a lot of opinions about this. And I, of course, I want people to hire me. But even those that hire me, I want those businesses to be actively pulling out their phone and taking photos. So there's content everywhere. Um, and any business should be engaging on a regular basis with their community. So you, know, you can take a look at, um, I've kind of broken it down into content areas of you your work, your process, and your materials. And I think that can be a toolkit for pretty much any business. And you can, there are exercises to explore those. And in my workshop, I've got lots of visual examples. Um, Any business can put things in those individual baskets and go through their offerings and services and products and think through, oh yeah, I can talk about myself and my motivations and my values. I can also talk about my process and what's involved in the kind of behind the scenes story um, because that provides value to the products and services. Um, the things that folks should be doing themselves is you know, if you're in any sort of business where you have specials or events, um, things that are more in the moment, you need to be promoting those in a way that is visually appealing. Um, so yeah, on the fly and they do don't, they don't have to be perfect. Just mm-hmm. tell the story. And, um, I think it's not just about the pictures scandalous. Like mm. you have to be able to speak from an individual perspective, uh, of this is what we care about as a business. And this is what, I want you to know about us. So it's having a conversation through the screen on a, on a continuous basis. And then, you know, sometimes using things from your professional image bank that tell a different part of the story. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit more polished. Did that answer your question? I think that was a great, yes, okay, yes, okay. yes, yes. So uh, I'll circle it back to you. And I'm hearing uh, BTS behind the scenes stuff yes. can feel and should feel real authentic and in, and in real time. Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, certain times where the dialed in, uh, product photos and brand photos can and should have a professional touch. Absolutely. Yeah. That's and my, that's my one sentence. I'm also too. a really huge proponent, not just because I offer headshots and portrait sessions. Um, please show yourself. I think a lot of people 
feel very uncomfortable about that, but your community, they want to meet you Mm -hmm. and it is meeting you through the screen. So you have to put yourself out there and say hello because there's this deep desire for a connection. Fake data alert, but there's something, uh, some many X's higher in engagement when faces are in the Instagram photo. Oh, yeah. oh of course. I get three times the amount of Same. likes on my photos. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it's just, um, I think that there's something hardwired. There's, um, there's some computer software that, that, uh, some marketing agencies can use people. Can, you can have it uh, at, at home consumer product, but, um, that will track eyes mm-hmm. and you can also track mouses. There's a bunch of things you can track. Uh, but if there are eyeballs on screen, the number one thing that's looked at is mm. the eyeball <laughs> of the person. And then it's where the eyeballs are looking. Mm-hmm. So you go to the person's face, eyeballs, bang. And then what are they looking at? And that's why you'll see like a lot of the, you know, uh, Mentos. <laughs> it's like he's looking at the Mentos logo. <laughs> if you could think back to what Mentos ads look like. Um, and and that's funny. And I think it's interesting. But yes, we uh, humans are lo- looking for faces whenever we can. We seems. crave connection so deeply. I love that. I don't know why I just had this thought of like, because you were talking about uh, food portrait, Mm -hmm. taking portraits Mm -hmm. of food. And I was like, what if you put faces in food? (laughs) The connection faces. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm thinking of a whole book for how to make meals that kids will want to eat that are little faces. Oh, I'm sure that exists. It has to be, right? It has to be out there, yeah. Because it's like, it's pancakes. Pancakes is obviously an easy one, but I'm thinking carrots and little pancakes. Okay, cool. It's uh, a whole whole new arm of my business. It's yeah. his, <laughs> his, his food, portraiture. food portraiture. And like it's like you could just see like a grumpy looking little potato or something. Exactly. <laughs> but oh, I'll make man. it I'll make it breathe through and be very present <laughs> yeah. in the moment. I'll make that potato smile. Yeah. I love that. There wasn't there there was like a famous painting. Sorry, we're totally digressing, but there was a famous painting or famous painter that would paint food, but it would it would it'd be like fruit, but it'd be like in the shape oh, of yes, a person's absolutely. face. Mm-hmm. I don't remember yeah. what his name was, but um, yeah, that was always interesting. Anyways, <laughs> before we go into sort of the final round wrapping up, I, I wanted to know a little bit more about the tech side of photography. And I know that you said you're pretty low tech, which I love. Well, I wouldn't say low tech. I would just say that's not the part of it I'm in love with. Right. Yeah. I mean, I so I actually saw you shooting one day. <gasps> Uh, in what's the name of that coffee place? Olari. Oh, Olari. Olari. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always say it wrong. No. Olari. Um, and yeah, it was it was mostly you and the camera, and mm-hmm. there really, I didn't really see lights yeah. or anything else going on. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of cool to yeah, watch so I, you. I work. am very pared down. So I, I have every, my entire business can fit can fit into a backpack, uh, and that's very intentional. And I am a natural light photographer. So, and that is wonderful. And it does cause some challenges. Like a day like today where it's rainy, that would be an issue. Um, So I don't have a lot of gear. And I prefer that. It does mean that I can do certain things and can't do others. But what it means on set is that it's less intimidating. So if I am engaging with people rather than objects... Um, they don't feel like they're having to perform something. So I'm more in an engagement and um, connected fashion with them. Um, 
So yeah, I'm very, it's very simple the way I approach things. A lot of fellow photographers, when they find out that I, it's all natural light, they have a hard time believing it because it doesn't, it's just, I just love light and I understand it. And I also know how to edit images. So the, my, a lot of my tech comes in, in the post part of the work is the many hours sitting in front of a computer, making those images look their best. Hmm. Yeah. And um, do you use Adobe? I use three different mm-hmm. editing programs. So mm-hmm. I use Lightroom and Photoshop, but I also use a program called Exposure. Um, just for some little tweaks that actually give it a little bit of a film look. Huh. Mm. Very subtle. Um, so, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time editing my images. And I do every single one of them one at a time. I don't do batch editing. Um, so let's say I have an hour-long session with you. I might spend eight hours on those images wow. trying to get a little bit better about mm-hmm. that um but yeah it's it's a little tedious but um i i'm a perfectionist and i that's why when people get their images they're blown away because they look so good yeah, yeah. i love that i love i also love the choice of only using natural light i think that that is interesting and smart it's a choice I mean, and, yeah. it, and it does i mean i'll be very straightforward about it, it yeah. does limit things so yeah. um it's a question that comes up with location shoots is where will we be shooting and i have to mm. go see it up front or see pictures make sure that there's natural light available i can certainly magnify things afterwards i can sort of make light where there wasn't light mm-hmm. um but if there if it's an interior space with no windows that's not my job that's not something that i would do mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. are you reflecting light like are you using bouncers i um those ever... exist but i don't i don't lean on those because i trust my editing skills mm-hmm. um i do sometimes have to use diffusers so um when i'm working in my home studio i have 9 foot windows that are south facing so on a right. sunny day where there's no cloud cover that light is, um, Too much. I call it hot light, so it's very intense coming in. Yeah. And I play with that a lot, but if that's not the look that I want to achieve, I just pop something in one of those windows so it softens everything yeah. so I don't get the harsh light and shadow. Yeah, that was a big surprise for me when I heard that light was light is, in effect, what makes photography possible, and so light's important, light's good. And then I was like, oh, it's too sunny? Like, how's that a thing? You know, like, what do you mean it's too much light? Noon on a sunny day is not a photographer's friend. I I had no idea. Interesting. And so um, just because gear is where my mind goes, like, is there a 101 uh, intro to wanting to take your own photos thing? Is it just use your phone and max out on phone capacity? Or do you shoot Nikon, Canon, Sony's? Fujifilm, I don't know. Like, what is a gear? I, I'm a gearhead. What what things might uh, a I, beginner I will not like? make you happy, Tony, because oh. I'm not a gearhead. <laughs> so I actually use mirrorless. Um, so that's a trend right now is people shifting from DSLRs to mirrorless cameras. They're smaller. They're more affordable. They're mm. It's less intimidating when you're at a shoot to have because it's pretty compact, um, very mobile. 
Um, and I have interchangeable lenses. So I change my lenses depending on what I need them to do or portrait lens, or if I'm doing product photography and I need a macro view on like a label. Mm. So I change that out. Um, but I believe in people being empowered and part of, so when I have this workshop and I'll mention that in the what's coming, mm-hmm. um, that's not about how to use a camera. It's how do you take images? Mm-hmm. So I think anyone can learn how to think with a photographer's eye. And that's a big part of the training is I know that you can, you can lean on technology, but you do need to learn how to have a good eye. And that is something that comes through guidance and practice, practice, practice over and over again. And you have a, if you have a phone, you can take great photos. You absolutely can. Um, so I'm sorry, Tony, I'm not a gearhead. Um, I'll talk all about what, the, the woo-woo <laughs> feelies of photography, what, but I'm not a tech head. What brand mirrorless camera do you have? Oh, I'm the Fuji X series. Fuji, mm-hmm. okay. Cool. Um, they're, I love it. Uh, it's very color accurate. Um, yeah, white balance color, everything's, what you see in that camera is what you pull into the computer. So there's a, I can lean into the accuracy of my technology so that my skill set comes out in the creativity of how I engage with my subject and styling and vision. Cool. Yeah. Hearing a lot of good things about Fuji. Who knew? I like Fuji. It's like a Fuji-Sony Fuji battle. Yeah? Right now. It's funny. Yeah. Fuji, great water, great cameras. Yeah. Fuji. Fuji? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, oh right. gosh all right so, so tony's always there with the zingers <laughs> yeah this is what i live with <laughs> poor things um so so i you, you kind of alluded to it before exactly. but what's coming next for you what's in the future so i um i don't mean to be uh, secretive about it but i am working on expanding some aspects of my business um because i don't just think of myself as a photographer because i engage so deeply with my clients. So there's some things in the works for this year that I'm very excited about. Um, But I do have this workshop that I absolutely love giving. It's called uh, Capture and Convey, Telling Your Story in Images. And I will be offering it on April 7th Mm. at the Center for Craft. And I love partnering with them. It's such a beautiful space and they they draw the creative entrepreneur community. So it's a obvious fit. So that workshop really is me being able to offer this passion that I have for photography, but not holding my cards close. So it's really here are things that I do to train my eye to look for content for ideas of what do I post? What is the story that I have to tell and how can I do that and how can I stay inspired? Um, so I just love giving it so much because I can see the moments in the room on people's faces where they start understanding that, of course, they can they can do this too because they should. Mm. Was the last time you ran that program September 28th of 2019? What? In that program. Did you have a class? Did you teach a class? I've, so I've offered this workshop. Um, oh, was it September twenty? I, I can't remember the exact date, but I've done it through Mountain BizWorks. I, so before. I, I, have, I have reason to believe. I'm not sure, but I have reason to believe it was the week, the first week of our honeymoon, because I was like, "Ooh, we should go to that." And then I was like, "Ah, we're in oh yeah, yeah, yeah." Right? It has been had to be yeah. end so, of September. Um, so <laughs> there's this great uh, program um, through 
I think it's Center for Craft and Mountain Biz Works and UNCA partner together to offer um, programs for creative entrepreneurs. And so that was the first time that I offered this workshop was um, two years ago. And oh, then wow. they asked me to come back and I will be doing it again in the fall through that program. Got it. So it was so slightly different. That was a different thing. It's the same workshop, but a different venue. Got it. Yeah. Cool. Well, well, that's lovely that you, I did a, that we did a good job promoting it, it then. It locked into my brain. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, April. April 7th. 7th. Heard. Fun. Um, anything else big this year? I mean, those sound like two big things, workshop and, uh, potentially new things about business. Yeah. And, um, hopefully I'll be going to my 20th country in 2020. Holy I love travel. Yeah. So perfect. We're, let's, uh, let's, let's leave some of the camera talk. Uh, what things light you up? What things give you the, uh, the magic sparkle? Oh, magic sparkles. Um, I love travel. So it has travel is a vehicle for me to do in some ways. What photography can do is that it pushes me to learn the beauty of being uncomfortable. So being in new environments, it's, it throws me off and I have to find my way and figure things out. And I become so hungry for new knowledge and there's nothing like experience. And so it has been one of those things that I have made a choice to prioritize in my life of that is something I save for. That is something that I set time away for. And I've been fortunate enough to do a lot of it. It's been a few years. So I, um, and I'm speaking to international travel. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I've made a commitment to myself to go to at least one international destination this year. Um, because I like, I like the idea of the 20th country in 2020. So we'll see what happens. Do you know where you're going next? I might be buying a plane ticket this weekend, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna jinx it. Okay. We'll, well see. Well, I, I think it'll happen. Yeah. Um, we loved Portugal. If you've never been, oh, it's I've a very been. cute place. Yeah. Yeah, Portugal's amazing. But one place I have never been is Italy. Stop it! Mm. I right now. know it's so shocking to me, and I think, well, it's it's you know everyone who loves travel has a wish list. It's been on my list for so long, but I knew I would do it when I was older. Hmm. So I think it, I mean, I know it's going to happen, but I want it to be when I have time and I want to take a class and yeah. I want to just let there be some breathing room around it. So that will happen. I don't think that's going to be this year, yeah. but we'll yeah. see. Well, let us know when it does. Yeah. Happen. Oh, I'll ask you for all the things. Glad to give you all the things. Yeah. Yeah. I think, so many ideas. I think you made a good point though. I think that, um, the type of travel we, thoroughly enjoy and uh, I think that it sounds like you might too is is about two weeks or more mm -hmm. in a country where there isn't this um, urgency yeah you allow you allow yourself to get in line with the tempo mm -hmm. of the space and that's really hard to do when you're like well we have a train we gotta get to Milan and mm -hmm. then from Milan we're gonna go to Rome just for the night we're gonna mm -hmm. get to and it's like uh but maybe you should have just stayed in Florence for six days. Well because days. I think we've all done that we've all had those experiences of especially as someone who I, I know that I like to plan things and I like that structure but the more, I don't know, the older and wiser one gets, you do hone in on the things that really make travel worthwhile for you. Mm. 
and it may not be the same thing as other people. So I, when I go on a trip, I like to pinpoint, oh, I'm not going, I'm not leaving until I do that one or two things yeah. there. So I have the wish list of these are the most important experiences or things I want to do. And then leaving the room. So it's like, like I mentioned in the beginning, of you have the map, but you're allowed to go on a detour. Um, so... Yeah, it's just there's something about it that's so rewarding. And, of course, just reminding yourself that we're all connected and these walls and barriers and things that we tell ourselves that separate us, um, it's just so beautiful to go around the world and experience that in person. Mm. Yeah. And I love food. food. So food always informs my, my travel decisions. Um, food is a constant love and um, I, lo I could read about food listen about food um, I love cooking just food food all the time yeah I love that we're we're definitely on the I know food you're big <laughs> <laughs> the food train that's how we travel we're like we're gonna go here based on yeah. this restaurant or mm -hmm. whatever it is that we want to try so what about what about other things that you like to do here in Asheville you know if people come to town where do you take them where are your go-to spots? Well, of course, that depends on the person. Um, I know everyone has told you to go up on the parkway, but that's true. Is It's so accessible, and it's a way of experiencing firsthand, oh, we are so fortunate to be surrounded by these old, beautiful mountains. Um, I do like going up to the Pisgah Inn huh. is a particular favorite. So... I've actually stayed at the Pisgah Inn. There's this a beautiful, sweet, very simple little, I don't know, motel up there on the parkway that was renovated a few years ago. And I went once for my birthday, especially in the fall, because mm. it faces the glowing mountains. And there's a little uh, restaurant there with huge windows overlooking the mountains. And you can just drive up and grab some pancakes or head out on the back deck and have a drink. And it's just a really lovely experience that doesn't take a long drive to get there. Um, other than that, um, despite the uh, complexities of changing downtown Asheville, that's always a spot of it's just great to park and explore and wander. And um, there's so many different perspectives and great small businesses and food and drink offerings in downtown. Um, but I'm also a West Asheville girl. Mm. So that's my, been my turf for a long time. So of course I like to show off my neighborhood. Yeah. If someone were going to do a, uh, like a, uh, like a scavenger hunt of West Asheville, what kind of stops are on the scavenger hunt? Oh my God. Well, it's constantly changing. So yeah. some of those items may be covered up with a building now. <sighs> um, I just, I mean, I've literally lived on Haywood road for most of the time that I've been wow. in Asheville. So I've seen so much change in that neighborhood that I have a deep affection and loyalty for Haywood road. So the people, the businesses, um, and I, there's a lot of resistance to change yeah. in Asheville, particularly for people that have been here for a long time, but I don't feel that I, it's going to happen. It is happening. Um, 
and it's exciting to be in a neighborhood that is changing so much however in a different way from downtown so I do think in West Asheville you do have a lot of business owners own the property that their business is in which is a very different thing from developers coming in um so yeah I just I love my Haywood Road okay. yeah which is just going to keep changing and changing and changing yeah I uh, I looked up an interesting statistic before coming here today. There are almost 30,000 more people in Asheville than when I first moved here. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a big, I mean, that's, yeah, a, di- that's a, it's jump. a It's a very real difference. Yeah. That was a, a long time, but wow. um, that's a big jump. That's the big, the big town uh, where I grew up was 30,000 people. But a lot of people would come in during the day for work, like in Asheville, mm-hmm. where we heard, we were just with someone from... Um, the Chamber of Commerce, and they're like, uh, it's 90,000 residents, but on a given day, there's about 40,000 tourists and mm-hmm. about 40,000 people from just outside sure. Asheville come in to work. And so it's actually almost 200,000 people are here every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting. So then we'll do uh, a little word association for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when you hear uh, the word Asheville and the word community, what shows up? Do you want a one-word response, or no. just what I think yeah. of? Um, but 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 uh, also you yes. actually you actually said it. Um, show up. So when I think of Asheville and community, you have to show up. So this, I mean, I've lived here long enough to see it firsthand. Is that this is a city that is built on connections and word of mouth, and hey, you need to meet this person. Finding that opportunity that has not been publicly listed. Um, in order for the system to really work, you have to show up. So you have to be an active participant. You can't just sit back and hope that it's going to work for you. So I, I show up. So that means coming to networking events, saying yes when someone reaches out and they want to have coffee with you, um, making those connections in a active but sincere way of this is the lifeblood of this place. And if we want Asheville to grow in a way that we still want to be a part of, then we have to participate in that, um, which does mean showing up in small ways and in big ways. It means voting for your local politicians. It means putting your money where your mouth is and supporting causes that you care about. Um, Yeah. So my answer is showing up. Dang. (laughs) I'll move on to the the question that we always ask at the end of the podcast, um, which is if we had a magic wand or someone in our audience had a magic wand, what thing would you ask for? Is that for the world or for Asheville? Neither. Okay. Um, well, for Asheville, better parking. <laughs> um, but for the world, it's a, I think it's a much more sincere answer. Um, I just... I would like a magic wand that would and encourage people to just be kinder to each other, to, to be present in engagement with others, to somehow shift perspectives so that every encounter that you have, you understand that is another individual with hopes and dreams and fears and if you were just a little kinder to other people I think we would feel the effects 
throughout everything in our world? It's a seems like a simple answer, but that's a very complex answer. Just be kinder. Heard and agreed. I love that. That's a beautiful answer. I um, I want to thank you for taking the time this morning. This is such a treat. I'm really honored. I uh, want to say on air um, how much I love your podcast and uh, that I know that you all are stretching yourselves as new residents to really engage with others and see who's here and have those conversations. And I do see in you that you have that wide eyed, um, enthusiasm. And I know that voices can creep in. Don't lose it. Like, I think that having a love for this place is necessary for it to be vibrant and interesting. And I I love what you're doing and you're asking good questions and you're finding good people and you're receptive to input. Um, So I'm really excited to see how it grows. Thank you. I'm not crying. You're crying. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. This is great. Um, You, you're, you're both very good conversationalists, but you allow room for someone to get get their thoughts on the table Mm. without interrupting. And that's really great. Learned, learned skill. I have a, and I still do have a tendency to jump in when I, Oh, but that reminds me of a thing. I got to say the thing that it reminds me of. Mm -hmm. Sarah's great at holding space. You didn't ask where can we find you on the internet? Oh, I want you to find me on the internet. You can find me at uh, nicolemaconville.com. And on Instagram as Nicole McConville. Um, please go to my website and sign up for my newsletter because that's how you'll find out about workshops and events, new content. And I'm going to be putting a lot more effort in this year in providing some of those valuable photography tips into my newsletter. So sign up. Fantastic. Sarah, mm-hmm. we're now at about 30 actual interviews. Mm-hmm. Was that the first sign up for my email newsletter that has happened? I think yet? so. Holy we moly. applaud you. <laughs> like actual yeah. claps. We are hardcore believe in a, a business or a person. Every single person, person, listener, you should have a mailing list. Full stop. I can't believe that this was, I believe, our first opt in to our newsletter. And yeah. here's the value that you will get today and in the future. Hats off to you. I tell you, I love business. <laughs> well, you got If you love something, you have to, you mm. have to you have to share it, and these are the ways that we do that now. Absolutely, yeah. I think I think there's a world in the future where we could offer an email workshop to small businesses to get them and started. People would come in droves. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, uh, think about it. Q, Q2, we're doing an email marketing course. You heard it here first, people. <laughs> Love it. Thank you again so much. Uh, I'm going to hit the unrecord button. And that was episode 45 with Nicole McConville. OMG. How are you feeling, Sarah? Wow. Yeah. I just She just makes me feel really calm. Mm. And like, and like, okay, now I'm just like, just trust your instincts. Mm-hmm. Just trust your internal compass and everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. I mean, that if, if there's a single sound button, that might be it. Everything's going to be okay. 
show up with intention, really care, treat people the right way. Like, and it, and it's, it's, it just kind of happens like trust it. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely agree. I loved it. I feel so thankful that, uh, we were able to meet Nicole at Creative Mornings and uh, the energy was right. And then we got the, the podcast recorded and it just, it's everything I could have hoped it was. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to many more hangouts with Nicole and maybe some photos. Look out. <laughs> so if you'd like to learn more about uh, Nicole's business, as well as anything else that we talked about in this episode, I know we mentioned a the few workshop. photographers, mm-hmm. workshops um, coming up, and a few places around Asheville. Um, you can find all of that on the show notes page at makingitinashville.com forward slash zero four five. So it's just the website followed by the episode number. And uh, as always, if you enjoyed this specific episode, but any of the episodes, the podcast in general, please let us know. And the way that you would let us know is by following links that we provide in the show notes of the episode or uh, visiting Apple iTunes to uh, let them know with a five-star review or a uh, written out review that you do enjoy this podcast. Please subscribe on whatever player you use. Uh, those things make a world of difference. We just hosted our first podcasting workshop and what we found out or heard for the very first time is that uh, the iTunes algorithm is starting to show us to people uh, and that is because people like you are liking, reviewing, leaving uh, comments on iTunes. So thank you in advance for taking a moment if you haven't done that yet. Yeah, and you can do that all if you want sort of like the one-stop shop yeah one-stop shop for ways to stay connected to making it in Nashville just go to making it forward slash subscribe we have all the ways you can subscribe including to our newsletter mm-hmm. which is where we send out announcements about new episodes because um, we know sometimes people don't get them on their podcast players if they're subscribed there um, we also send out behind the scenes informations about each episode mm-hmm. um, so stories that you might not hear otherwise yeah and News about upcoming events. Upcoming events, special special projects, special like collaborations. 2020 has a lot of really, uh, I would say, new things happening mm-hmm. in our world with the Making It in Asheville uh, project as it is evolving and growing in interesting ways. And the people, if you're interested, the way to be the first to hear about all of the new things is going to be in the mailing list for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. So that one more time, that's making it in Asheville.com forward slash subscribe. And one more time, if you are a small business in the Asheville area and you are looking for some help in either clarifying your message or developing a stronger marketing strategy, we'd love to help you. Um, we have a small marketing business called Making It Creative. We've been working with several different businesses here in town as well as outside of Asheville uh, to help them with their marketing strategy. So you can learn more about that at makingitcreative.com. Perfect. The, uh, the To follow back up on some of the exciting things that we're doing in 2020, uh, we mentioned loosely events. Mm-hmm. So each month this year, we've now made it a like commitment, a, a written it in stone. Each month, we will have at least one Monday Maker Mixer. Our current uh, and next Monday Maker Mixer is to be announced to our email list first. Um, we have a, a venue in mind, and we're just solidifying the final details. Uh, sometimes with these events, the second one specifically, we had a hard cap on the amount of people that we could bring t- 
to the venue, to the space that we're having this mixer. Uh, sometimes that will be an issue. So uh, if you are interested in meeting like-minded entrepreneurs, uh, artists, uh, aspiring entrepreneurs, just good people who want to meet other people, uh, a good place to be first in line is in our email list. So uh, if you'd like, you can visit makingitinashville.com forward slash events. And whatever we have uh, actually booked will be available there. Otherwise, there's going to be a link to our email list. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, you can nominate them at makingitinashville.com forward slash podcast. We have a whole form there on that page where you can fill out information about um, either a friend that you know that you'd love to hear their story on the podcast or yourself. Uh, We do read every single request that comes in. We have lots of people is sort of lined up for, mm-hmm. for the next few seasons um but we will get back to you and we would love to yeah. learn more about your story yeah i try to reply within like as few hours as possible and sometimes yeah. it's the next morning first thing uh we are so thankful that you take the time to reach out and let us know who we should meet um all of our guests we meet before we actually ever record and so uh one of the things that we hope comes through in these episodes is that there is some form of rapport between us mm-hmm. and our guests Um, and that should, we hope, uh, allow for just deeper and more meaningful conversations. And so please, uh, continue to send in, uh, business owners that you know, and are, are, you know, acquainted with at the very least, uh, or, uh, nominate yourself. And we would love to start figuring out ways to meet with you or them. Uh, the making it in Asheville kind of Monday maker mixer is an attempt to get us to meet more people and assess rapport before interviewing. So uh, thank you, and we're looking forward to meeting you or your friend. So now we're episode 45. Um, We are kind of, I don't know, I want to say that we're in a whole new phase. We officially have hosted a beginner's podcast workshop. Like how crazy and how cool. We we haven't done a full uh, unload on that, and I don't think that... Uh, the end of episode 45 is the perfect place to do it, but it, I just, I feel happy of myself is the way that I always enter that. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> I feel happy of myself, but like, I feel, <laughs> I feel so <laughs> thankful and like, yeah. it feels crazy. Cause I, I still remember like showing up in Asheville. It feels like it was just yesterday and so much has happened since we've arrived. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And we're coming up on the end of the season as well. So we'll be going into season four pretty soon. Mm -hmm. And we're starting to plan our one year anniversary of making it in Asheville, which is a few months out. But still, stay tuned. If there's anything that I've learned over the last 10 months is that time absolutely flies. And so Mm -hmm. uh, our one year event, we have big uh, aspirations of it being very fun and inclusive and exciting and uh, a celebration of you all, uh, listener, you and whoever else you might share this with. But uh, We call that y'all. Y'all, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you all. So by the time I hit the one year, I'll turn all my you alls into y'alls, I promise. But uh, <laughs> You guys. You guys, hey. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Episode 45 with Nicole McConville. That's a wrap. We get it. High I five. So we hang out now by the mics for a couple minutes. Okay. 
if you have your notes, you can pull them out. But the idea here is that we stay so that everything sounds the same. Is there anything in your heart that while you were like showering this morning, you're like, oh, I got to say this thing. Don't forget this thing. And then you might have forgot the thing. And so we're going to stay here for a minute just in case. Because if it's possible, mm-hmm. like in Photoshop, right? I could pull the light in mm-hmm. and angle it. Now I feel like we touched on um, the different aspects that I was hoping to talk about. I'm really glad you didn't put me on a spot to ask me what my favorite restaurant was because <laughs> that's than, a delicate <laughs> position for me to be in as a it, photographer it's, for businesses. It's more yeah. than that anymore. I um, know. Um, no, you, I, uh, I felt it, what is lovely about this is there's, there's room for a conversation to happen without feeling rushed. And so I feel like I could bring something to the table. You bring something to the table. You're very good at redirecting. And making sure the questions get answered. Um, yeah, no, this was a, a lovely experience. Great. Yeah. We enjoyed it as I'm well. I'm terrified wow. of hearing my own voice. But oh, okay. oh, no, You're not great. alone. Don't yeah, worry. It's, it's, it's going to be great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the first time I had to hear myself, I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I, I've always hated the way I sound on voicemail or just seeing myself on camera. Yeah. And then we got, got used to it. And but. we got one, like... W- for our bright-eyed and bushy-tailedness, there's been a couple moments. And it's so funny. We just we release a podcast where Miles goes, you got to remember the 99 cakes that ra- that rose. You can't remember the one that didn't raise. Like, you, mm. if you make 100 cakes, rise. Mm-hmm. rise. <laughs> yeah. I don't know the right word, uh, what yeah. tense for rise. But, like, they rise. Remember the ones that rise, not the ones that don't. Right. Um, and we've heard just a couple of things that were, like, uh, less than 100% encouraging. And... Uh, Specifically, as far as feedback, yeah, as far as feedback, I, I caught one of those, and, and I've lived here for a long time. There, there's a lot of people are protective of Asheville. They're also defensive of Asheville. I've I've been defensive. I've been one of those people. Um, people can also get very cynical, and. Um, I do think it's important to step back and evaluate, particularly in, as a content creator perspective of, are we, sh- are we showcasing enough diversity in our voices? Mm-hmm. That's important. But it's also the same thing that we were alluding to is you can't please everybody. And there are always going to be voices that, criticize or say you're not doing enough you're not doing the right thing in any project that you do and while I do think it's important to receive it's your choice on how you react to that um so I saw one of those come up and I was like don't be mean (laughs) don't be mean to them (laughs) um it it happens that's that's the nature of putting your work out there and if anything we're happy that people have either told us, hey, there's a typo in here, or they've given us negative feedback because we're like, people are actually listening and they're paying attention and there's yeah. someone out there. Um, people get very emotional about their yeah. home. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and to, to the point that you made, uh, I, I have put a lot of work in to think about reaction and responses. Mm-hmm. And my reaction often is... 
you know, like of course this. Per- <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm like, gonna find. Do you see this? Like <laughs> yeah. this person, blah, blah, and but yeah. but but <clears throat> it's it's not actually. But, you, but the thing but, you realize they're coming from their own perspective. It's, it's a them. It's informed by their experience, which you you likely don't know what that's I have going no on idea, there. No idea, and yeah. so it's kindness, mm-hmm. and so the response, not the reaction, mm-hmm. but the response, and it's they're getting closer together. The the the. Uh, the time lag is, is a lot faster today than it was five years ago, let's say. But um, the response is, man, how do, we, how, do, like, how do we show love to this person who's clearly not, let's say, happy? I think happy mm-hmm. might Especially be Especially if they're word. not happy in a... Public, and that's viewable by other and people. And it's a public yeah. way and they show... Like, they're unhappy enough to communicate it out loud in a way that's not going to be a resolution for it. It's just mm-hmm. maybe an escape valve of mm-hmm. steam. Mm-hmm. And, you know, alas. But, yeah, so voices, hearing our own voices has been interesting. Uh, and 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 Sarah's got a fun particular... So I was, like, deaf as a kid. I couldn't hear myself. Sarah has, like, this southern move to the northeast, lived in Italy for five years, I taught, taught English. I hear Sarah's inflection. And, I, <laughs> and at first I was like, that is quirky. It's so quirky. Because it's, there's an Italian thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So but when, but the rest of it's not a t- it's it's yeah. it's yeah. just the end of sentences, yeah. and so and as soon as I heard it, I was I couldn't unhear it, yeah. but I find it so endearing it because it's, it's just it's, it's this years unique of thing being surrounded by Italians and Italians trying to speak yeah. English and all and of that and then you know lived with British people so there's sometimes mm-hmm. this weird British thing quite. that comes she in mm-hmm. yeah it's, and I'm, I'm very susceptible to but what would happen if you were so so scared to not put your voice out there exactly. think about all the things that you would be missing out on it's the same yeah. thing with people being scared to put themselves right. in front of a camera yeah like you just have to do it yeah and it's a part of who I am and the I, past I, life I that I've that lived. It, and that it like it comes out like you wear it daily. When she first moved to New York, I was like, Sarah, what, <laughs> what is going on going with your on? voice? Her voice is like it was once a ten out of ten on whatever the weird like jambalaya of of influence was. He's saying that in the sweetest way possible. I know. And then <laughs> and then in and like now it's like it's just so I I love it. So she'll mm-hmm. say stuff, and I'll just and sh- I'll start smiling, and she'll be like, "What?" And I'm like, "I just the way you said that makes me happy, makes my heart smile." 